RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? I can't complain. Ready to talk about our second game from Mace 2016? Yeah. <laughs> what a game. Yep. So thank you for joining us. This is RPG Lessons Learned. On this show, we talk about sessions that we played from kind of a retrospective point of view to give you an opportunity to learn from, from things we did that worked and things we did that didn't work. So listen to the show, and it's almost as if you played four hours of gaming yourself with all the lessons that we learned packed into hopefully 30 short minutes, although we often go 45. So Mace last year, Brian, Mace 2016, we signed up for two games. You had been to many conventions, but it was both of our first game, GameCon. So we talked last episode last week about the Saturday morning cartoon episode. The second game we signed up for, I was so excited about. The second game was an Eberron game. And I've been wanting to play or run a game in Eberron for years. And I, and I just haven't made it happen. Tell us about that. What is Eberron? Eberron is kind of, it's, it's like a steampunk version of D&D. So if you play World of Warcraft where they have the airships and there's, you know, lightning rails, there's like trains and stuff. Um, but it's all magically powered. Eberron's very much like that. And, and the sociopolitical aspect is very different. Like, like elves are different in Eberron. Um, just things are similar, but different. So, and the whole idea of technology, it's almost like running a Shadowrun game in D&D. It's, it's, it's a lot of urban stuff. It's a lot of more, it's, it's more modern concepts. It's like running a game that has 1920s technology, but it's all explained away by magic and elementals that have been captured. And it's just, I find it so evocative. Uh, Keith Baker, the guy who invented the, the setting, Tanner alluded to him last game or last, or, sorry, a couple episodes ago when we spoke with Tanner. And uh, Keith Baker actually won a competition to, to design Eberron as, as the setting. And during, during the run of 3.5, uh, third edition, Wizards did a contest for, hey, come up with a new campaign setting. And Keith Baker won it. He proposed Eberron, won the contest, and then Eberron's been a thing since third edition. I have tons of Eberron books. I have all the third edition books. I have the fourth edition books. I, I am entranced by the idea of the setting, and I've just never made a game happen. That would be fun. It would be. Yeah, we, we just, there's so many games that I want to play that we don't make time for them all. Fortunately, at Mace 2017, we'll be playing, or is this point, we, is that this weekend? We would have to do the math to figure out when this episode will air. So we're playing uh, at least one Savage Worlds game, which will be fun. Yeah, but, no, we're not playing any Eberron, though. Yeah, no Eberron. But Savage World, that's something we've been wanting to play. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, um, I was so excited to play this Eberron game. And, and Brian, what did you think of the Eberron game? Man, I just don't have any recollection of it, like, at all, for yeah. some weird reason. Like, none. Me either. The GM completely no-showed. That was disappointing. We were so excited to play Eberron. It was it was such an exciting concept, the way the guy had written it up for Mace 2016. He'd written it up as this all-thieves game for play, you know, set in Eberron. So everyone was to roll a thief in 5th edition, and we'd play this Eberron game. So I was so excited to play, and when the guy no-showed, it was heartbreaking. So Brian and I are sitting there because we, we'd registered together, and there was one other gentleman sitting there at our table. And, Brian, I didn't say anything yet, but about 10 or 15 minutes into this guy not showing, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to try to run a game. 
At first, though, we did we assumed that the guy at the table was the GM. Yeah, when we walked up, we did, and he quickly explained that he wasn't. Because I mean, like, just the idea that a GM would no show was just so odd. I didn't I didn't expect that to happen. But then, very rapidly, we learned that on this, so it was Sunday morning. Like every other GM had no showed because people kept coming to our table saying, "Hey, what are you guys playing?" Our GM no showed, and we're like, "Well, yeah, our GM's not here either." So, and, and I mean, it was group after group. It's no exaggeration to say it was at least four different groups of people walked up to say, Hey, are you guys playing? We don't have a GM. So tons of players, tons of people ready to play. Evidently, at least four GMs, at least five GMs counting ours, no showed. In the room that we were in Friday night, the room was packed. Oh yeah. It was about a, what, a half, half full the Sunday morning. So it's still a substantial number of people. Yes. But lots of no-showing GMs. Sad. So you can get into con for free if you run three games. I wonder if some GMs like signed up for three games to get in for free and then just didn't show up on Sunday. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, and what was disappointing was there was no mechanism easily identifiable for reporting this guy for no-showing. So we never did that. No. We, we never reported him for no-showing. We, we couldn't figure out how. At one point, we walked out looking for organizers, and we couldn't find anyone. They weren't clearly marked or designated, whatever. So anyway, um, I decided, hey, I might run a game. And I, and I sat there, and I, I came up with some stuff. Um, I quickly drew a map on graph paper. I quickly used, and I'm, I'm going to plug these apps, even though I have never met Walter. I don't know Walter. I've never, I've never corresponded with Walter. We have no affiliation with him. But this guy named Walter Cramer has put out a couple of apps that I love. You guys all have the 5th edition character sheet mm-hmm. app for rolling characters. And then I have the 5th edition GM app for building encounters. Um, you can import monsters through JSON. So I have tons of monsters imported, and I can build encounters very rapidly. So I love this app. I love these apps, this suite of apps by Walter Kramer. So I, I pulled out my app. I built some encounters. I drew some maps real quick. And I said, hey, would you guys mind if I ran a game? You know, it'll, it'll be on the fly. It probably won't be... Very good, but at least we'll get to game. And the other guy at the table was very nice. He was like, hey, I'm here to game. If you want to run, I'm all for it. So, And then, Brian, you agreed that you were good. We were there to game. So I ran a game. I ran a game that I put together in 10 minutes. What did you think, Brian? So um, have we have, have we shared the secret on how you're able to pull games together on the fly before? We have alluded to it, okay. So, but not in detail. But I think we plan to share that secret this episode. Okay. So, um, I think you had ten minutes. I think you went to, went to go grab a drink or something. Uh, killed some time while you pulled pulled it together, and um, it was a lot of fun. Especially not knowing the guy, I was surprised how um much fun we were able to have. I think we, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like he was the most fun guy in the world to play with, but we. Uh, cooperated and we uh, came together as like a, a team. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was very satisfactory. You did a great job. He was a great player. Yeah. Yes. And, and he picked up that we knew each other very quickly. Yeah. He's like, Oh, do you guys know each other? Yes. Yes. We signed up together, et cetera. So he, he, we was very easy to include him in the game. So the game I ran, well, let's, let's talk about some of the mechanics first of all. So I, I had you guys roll up. So, so I didn't know Eberron. So I said, hey, I explained to you both, hey, I can't run Eberron, despite the fact that this is an Eberron game, supposedly. So I, I asked you, I said, hey, Brian, do you mind to pull up pull up your app and, and, and just, you know, build yourself a, a level whatever thief real quick? And I turned to this guy and I said, hey, 
you know, I'll spot you two bucks if you want to download this app. It's available on both iPhone and Android. It's the Walter Kramer character sheet app, whatever. He didn't let me pay him. He was very gracious. He spent the $2. He downloaded the app, and he very rapidly rolled a character, Mm -hmm. a thief character, just generic 5th edition, no Eberron bent. So you guys rolled characters. I pulled everything together. That, that was that was the mechanics. You guys both rolled thieves because I, I kept that. I said, hey, let's run an all-thief game. So to run an all-thief game, I guess we'll go ahead and skip to this first. To run an all-thief game, I often, Brian says, you know, how can I run a game so quickly? How can I come up with a concept for a game? I steal. I steal mercilessly. Um, because it doesn't leave my table, because I don't publish adventures, I feel like, and and, and in GM... What do you call those sessions at cons where it's not games, it's panels. In GM panels, the guys from Wizards talk about, hey, steal. It's at your table. There's no copyright infringement at your table. Just steal. It's no big deal. So I'll steal stuff and rename it. So I was like, how can I run a game just for thieves and have it be interesting? Assassin's Creed. (laughs) It's sneaking around. It's stabbing people in the back. Let Let me think of... How I might design a mission from us. I love the Assassin's Creed game series. I've never played it. Yeah. And, and hey, that's great because that means you won't recognize when I'm stealing from it. Mm-hmm. I play it a lot. Um, I, I love that game series. Well, I did. I kind of stopped playing after three, but, um, I love the idea of it. I love the sneaking. I love the backstabbing. And I thought, okay, great. It's a sneaky backstabby game. Perfect for thieves. Let me put together an Assassin's Creed style mission. So completely inspired by Assassin's Creed, I put together this map. You know, almost designed to be infiltrated with multiple ways in, with a mission to rescue someone from the thieves' guild. You guys were out of towners. All right. Well, sorry, I'm not asking questions of you. Let's talk about that. Do you remember? So at con games, how do you make everyone at the table work together? They've just rolled characters. How do you? How do you? I knew right away. I needed some excuse for these two characters by these two players that never played together. For them to work together, Brian, do you remember how I achieved that? Was it? Were we forced into it? You were. So because you were thieves, I felt free to dictate to you as GM yeah. that you're both thieves guild members. Yeah. And I had a guy walk up to you in a bar that you were both in. I started in tavern. Hey, why not? And I had him flash you. You know, I had him speak some thieves can't to you and flash some hand signals at you that let you both know that hey, you remember you're, you're thieves. You're members of the thieves guild. And the guild is calling for your presence right effing now. So because you belong to this organization of, of scary, shadowy thieves, you both went with it. And I had the local leader of the Thieves Guild say, hey, one of our higher-ups has been captured. We need to go in and rescue him. He's being held by the guards. In general, we don't like to fight the guards because we don't want to start a war with the yeah. guards. But both of you two are from out, out of, of town. town. So I had this excuse for... You're being forced on this mission, and here is why. And as is so often the case at work, Brian, when you're assigning a task to someone, if you just explain why, so many objections disappear. Yeah. So I had a logical reason in the world for you guys to submit to this higher authority and why that higher authority chose you for the mission. And boom, you got you, you two guys were a cohesive unit. Yeah. So I remember with, with this, we had... It turned out that uh, the person that we were thought we were after was being held by the town guard in well, what, jail isn't necessarily the right word, but it's, in, in a garrison. In, yeah. Uh, and we basically had to figure a way into there in and out 
uh, we were, you know, being thieves, we wanted to avoid combat, I guess, if we could, because, um, it's, it's, it would be messy, but we were willing to do what we needed to do. Yep. So I had committed all I'd committed to the only prep I had done as GM. I had drawn the map and I had built some encounters in in an app. Basically I'd, I'd chosen monsters. I had maps and monsters and that and, and, a, and a seed, and that was it. As far as how the adventure was to go, you guys decided that you wanted to case the joint. Yeah. So I, I had you make some rolls, and I gave you a couple of days to case the joint. And it reminds me of the first Assassin's Creed game. They did less of this as the series went on, but in the first game, when you were assigned to assassinate someone, there were these like three or four or five optional missions you could do leading up to the assassination to find out more and more about the target. And that's how I approach this. So I think if I remember correctly, um, and I may be confusing this with the medieval adventures game that we played for some reason. Um, I, I think we were trying to figure out a way in the back door of the garrison. You were trying to identify a back door. Yeah. Yes. You, that's ultimately what you did. You yeah. watched the garrison for a few days. A few days to figure out what the patterns are, people coming in, people leaving. I had all that be rolls. Yeah. Uh, we did a lot of rolls, and I, I quickly I quickly ran this. So probably like it, it was the, the whole casing the joint at, at our physical table in the real world took like 15 minutes of me describing stuff, and I would show you the map and say, okay, here's what you see, and here's how they change. Here's how the guards change. And I make, I'm making all this up on the fly, but as I'm saying it, I'm also jotting it down and committing to it. So here's what you discover, all a successful role, here, and, and they're looking for opportunities. And, and yes, I had you discover a back door that was guarded by one guy. And from the layout of the play, I, I had you figure out some of the stuff about the layout. I can't remember how we justified that. Yeah. But these were all skill challenges, skill checks. And once that well dried up, I said, okay, well, that's basically everything you can figure out. And you guys had this working plan of busting in the back door and uh-huh. kill, killing that one guard. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, we we successfully got in the back door. Yep. We killed the guard. I yep. think we were pretty we were fairly silent about killing the guard. Yes. But inside, we found that the, the you, you you found the guy tied up. Yeah. And he was being held by Captain Nathan Faringray. Yeah. Um. Wasn't there so so it was Captain Nathan Faringray? Wasn't there someone else, or did someone else come in as we were battling Faringray? A couple of guards were already there, so it, it was Faringray plus like two guards. So uh, the two of you fought. So we'd been playing in Fallcrest in a previous couple of you, you and I had yes. Yeah. So the guy we were playing with, he didn't know Faring. Right? Yeah, uh, but we'd been we actually played a couple of campaigns over the course of a couple of years, I guess, in mm-hmm. Fallcrest. And Nathan Faringray was the guy that we looked up to. And I mean, we were our, our he's character, the guy that gave you missions. Yeah, he, our characters respected him implicitly. It's like in the game that we're playing now. We have we have. Uh, when it comes to the captain of the guard that we deal with, we have a respect, but it's also a kind of like um, respect where we challenge and we will. Uh, uh, but with Faring- she's, she's more of a well-rounded character, but, but, Fer- but, but we were less mature players. Yeah. So Faring Ray was straight up like, number one, he's a good guy and you trust him. Yeah. And number two, here's your mission. Yeah. But yeah, but we, I just, I guess to, to just explain how I felt Faring Ray was almost like a, uh, uh, somebody that I almost my character being a paladin, uh, especially because of my pal, you know, he's uh, a lawful good. Um, he not only respected Faring Ray, he also, in a way, kind of idolized is a strong word. It's not, but he respected and wanted to embody a lot of the same characteristics that Faring Ray had. Um, and there was like literal, like strong admiration that I that I as a player had for Faring Ray. 
And but I didn't know it was Faring Ray. No. When I didn't want to burden so this player, I can't remember his name. I don't know. This guy had never played with us and I, I didn't want to burden him with the backstory of our game. But because I was running on the fly, I wanted to run things that I was familiar with. So since your character, Brian, didn't know the town and wasn't from Falkrest, even though you were in the shared universe, I only described Faring Ray to you. Yeah. So I had never heard a good description of Faring Ray. I don't think you made a point to describe him. But would you describe the guy as um, probably, I guess, in his 40s, uh, thereabouts, uh, somewhat past his prime, but not, uh, but certainly formidable, uh, bulky, strong, powerful, um, and physically scarred from uh, years of combat? And and wearing captain's and insignia. wearing and wearing the captain's insignia, and knowing that we were in Fallcrest, um, I realized that it was Captain Nathan Faringer. After you killed him, after I killed him. Yeah, so so let's talk about we're, we're we're doing a lot of recapping and not a lot of lessons, right? So let's talk about some lessons. Could you tell in the game that we had the previous night with the the GM that we made fun of last episode? Could you tell that I was trying to apply some of those lessons that we'd learned? Absolutely. So trying to, this guy's new to our game, right? The guy that we're sitting with playing with. I was, I was including him as much, if not more than you, because I knew you and I wanted to consciously yeah. bring him in. So I did a lot of talking just to him and asking him, Hey, what do you do? You know, how do you, how do you approach this? How do you think about this? Cause I really wanted him to not feel like a, like a fifth wheel. I think that succeeded, but I asked questions of you guys as individuals to overcome the group dynamics. I really tried my best to make combat interesting. Mm -hmm. In my case, I had chosen basic quote unquote monsters. I was using like actual town guards from the monster manual. I was using, I think a, I can't remember, uh, maybe a gladiator or something for, for that was more powerful than a guard for Nathan Faring Ray. So they didn't have particularly interesting mechanics, but the way I had the room laid out with some difficult terrain and some things to overcome, I tried to make combat interesting. I had the guards using their parry ability. I, I, I had everyone using their abilities to keep things interesting. And I made sure you guys needed to use your abilities. I had this, I had this, uh, I made sure it's a pretty hard fight. Yeah. So I really wanted to keep things interesting at the table. Um, so I learned a lot of lessons from the night before, applied those, and it worked out really well. In fact, as we were playing, Brian, do you remember like other, like people kept coming up saying, Oh, you guys are playing. What are you playing? And I didn't feel ready to have others join this thing that I'd come up with on the fly. So I did, I was like, well, our actual GM's gone. I just came up with something and they're staring at me kind of expectantly, hoping to be invited to our table. Well, and I didn't invite I mean, them. Had they shown up earlier, it would have been much maybe, easier. Maybe, maybe, but I felt okay. Like, like we had all been stood up and we had this camaraderie in that. If I'd let someone sit down, I think they would have been looking to me to be as competent a GM as if I'd prepped before the con. True, true. And I hadn't. So I didn't I didn't want to take on that responsibility. That's fair. That's fair. So Nathan Faring Ray. Sorry. I just I, 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 I know you're sort this of This really stuck on you. It really stuck on so me. Let, so let me talk about what I remember after this. I knew it was Nathan. I described him and all that. I didn't name him because your character didn't know him. Yeah. But after you guys killed him, do you remember how you figured out it was Nathan? Uh the, was it the You yeah. looked at me. So it, after, oh, yes, after yes, you yes. killed him, you looked at me and you were like, Did we just kill Nathan Faring Ray? And and the guy at the table had no idea what's going on and I was like yeah, yeah, you did. So this doesn't have the same impact to me that Dusk had when th that game when we ended up having to uh, dispatch all of the um, kids. 
in that the the people that were enthralled by the vampires. Yeah. So let's be clear that we didn't sit and go around killing kids willy nilly. No, they had been enthralled by a vampire. and, yeah. and yada yada yada. It didn't okay. have that same impact, but it was darn close to me. And my the only thing, and we will never revisit dusk in, in that universe. I don't guess, and I probably not even the universe has Nathan Fairy in it. But it really bugged me, and it really it, in hindsight, it's it 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 was just something that when I think of this game, that's what I think about because I really. I, I know it's hard to respect a character and a character that, for the most part, you plucked from your head. I know that you didn't create Faring Ray from scratch, right? No, I first heard of Faring Ray in, in the in the Penny Arcade podcast with Chris Perkins. But 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 the character I stole him from that. Yeah, but the character that but the character that we had interacted with was straight from your head, and yeah. it was it was it just it bothered it bothered me, and uh, that, I guess that just speaks to your ability to create a, a world with with rich characters in it that I respect. I appreciate that. Yeah. Still bugs me. <laughs> okay, we can move along. Okay. Um, so you can tell us applying lessons I learned the previous night. Um, here's an in- interesting question. Did you know that I was ripping off? So you, so you didn't. You'd never played Assassin's Creed. I never Creed. played Assassin's Creed, and I didn't know the, I didn't know the magical sauce that you used to Yeah, and ni- neither did the guy we were playing with. Um, the fact that I ripped stuff off hasn't come, didn't come to light until recently when I, when I shared that with the guys. They're like, how do you come up with all this stuff? Well, I steal. So, I really want to talk about that for a minute to, to let people know that, hey, not everything at your table has to be your complete original idea. If you publish the adventure, then yes, it needs to be your original idea. But when you're running a game on the fly to table, and, I, and right now I'm keeping up a bi-weekly game in addition to a five-year-old, um, a very happy marriage, and a, and, a, and, a, and a very happy career, and keeping up with all those things, I feel like it's okay to cheat in my gaming life a little bit, especially since I don't publish, I don't sell anything. So I steal stuff. I steal plots from movies and I steal what's familiar to me. So I don't want anyone to listen to this podcast and think, Oh, I should steal from Assassin's Creed. No, I like Assassin's Creed and I'm more importantly familiar with Assassin's Creed. So that's why I stole from Assassin's Creed. You should steal from whatever you're familiar with. Smoking the bandit part two. (laughs) There you go. You should, you should, I would love, you know what? You say that in jest, how great would it be to run kind of a, what do they call those back in the days, road stories? Something. I, I would, I, if I were going to steal from, it would be Smoking in the Bandit 1, but I, the 2 is t- terrible. How amazing would it be to have this story where you're on the run, on a road, on a stagecoach? No, you know what I, you know what I would want to, what I would want to steal? What's that? Death Wish. Oh, that's great for one protagonist. Yeah, well, True. Unless un- it have to be PV, it have to be PVP in a way. In a way, I don't know how to. I, I don't know. Probably wouldn't work. Yeah, I can't think of what to make. So, so Death Wish is very single protagonist, and that, that's a great point, Brian. As you steal things, steal things with multiple protagonists. Mm. Yeah, Magnificent Seven. There you go. And I think we've done that before, right? Like, def- like, did we? How do you, with a small number of people, defend a town from a larger threat? I think a lot of games steal from Magnificent Seven. But you're right. Steal from steal from movies and 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 games and books and whatever. Anything that has a good strong ensemble cast. So I've stolen a lot over the years from Next Generation just because I'm familiar with it. Really? Mm-hmm. Which which examples? Okay, I'll tell you something about Faring Ray that you don't know. Okay. Faring Ray is Admiral Riker. Wow. 
that's older than I would expect Faring Ray to be because Admiral Riker was like in his 60s. Yeah, you said his 40s, but I'm picturing, I always picture Faring Ray in, in his early 50s. Interesting. But yeah, Faring Ray is, is the way I describe him, the way I think of him. In my head, he's Admiral Riker. So I've read a lot of the Star Trek books. I know about Admiral Riker. He's been around the block. He used to be this young, you know, successful dude that was on track to become the youngest captain and beat James Kirk in becoming the youngest captain. But uh, instead, he held off on his captaincy because he found a place that, where he was learning a lot and really comfortable and, and liked it. And for the first time, he was like, wow, I like something that's not pure career advancement. That's Faring Ray. To me, Faring Ray loved Falkrest. Falkrest was, was Faring Ray's enterprise. He could have been more successful elsewhere, but he just liked Falkrest. And he liked Lord Markleheim. Lord Markle Hay is not Picard, though. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Commander Shelby. Is there a Commander Shelby? No. Okay. Not in my game. Okay. But but you instantly breathe life into these NPCs as a GM when in your mind, okay, it's this character. You rename them. You, you're careful about how you describe them. You don't let your players in on the fact that your characters are, are these, you know, characters from other movies and books. But every time I need to play Nathan Faringray, I am totally consistent. We need to play a Nathan Faringray game. <laughs> and it would just basically be the best of both worlds part one. That would it'd just be mostly RPing. <laughs> I would totally play that. We'd need to tell everyone the secret, though. Yeah. I'll totally be Commander Shelby. Yeah. But I, we're getting off track. I guess for me, the lesson learned, if you need to come up with stuff on the fly or even not on the fly but you want to be consistent. You got this NPC that the players are going to see session after session after session. It's easier for you to be consistent as a GM if you've picked someone out. And for me, the the overall concept of the game, Assassin's Creed, like, like okay, thief characters, what can I do? What am I familiar with? I could have easily said Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. I, I could have, we could have done a heist. Anything that you're familiar with that you, listening to this podcast right now, what do you like? What are you familiar with? And think about the game you want to run. And, and I love the, the, the riff and I, Brian and, Brian and I just did on Smoking the Bandit, on, on Admiral Riker. But hearing these examples, ask yourself, what do you like? What are you familiar with? And how can you steal those things to convince your, your players at your table that you're a genius and that you're much more prepared than you actually are? And how can you take advantage of these things that are in your, you know, fictional unconscious characters that you love? to be able to, to, to run good sessions. So to be able to, to, to be able to run a game with no prep and to have it be reasonably successful. I talk a lot about my failures. I really pat myself on the back for this game at a con with a stranger, very few resources, no visuals, theater of the mind. I could tell, and we talked about the, the Dunning-Kruger effect last time. I think he had fun. Yeah, I, I do as well. We asked him for feedback after the game, and, and, and he said, he said, quote, considering the amount of time you had to come up with this, this was a lot of fun. Actually, Brian, let me, let's close the podcast with, with a question for you. What's better, bad gaming or no gaming? Man. I'm usually of the mind that no, nothing is better than a bad experience. I tend to agree. So when I volunteered to run, I felt like, ooh, do I really want to do this? Could we? Could you tell as we drove home that the bug had bitten me, and that I was absolutely going to run games next year? Yeah, 
And yeah. you, you even said it. <laughs> yeah, over and over again. I was I'm, so juiced. I'm running a game. I mean, like we said last episode, even though we had a bad experience sort of on – heck, actually, I think we you knew this Friday night after the experience that we had with the Pathfinder game that you knew you were going to run games this year. But especially after this game where I ran a, I ran a game at Con. I was so juiced on the fact that I had successfully run a game at Con by putting myself out there, by attending – by thinking about GMing, a, you know, hey, what's minimal prep that's maximum that's that, with maximum effectiveness? I was ready. I, I pulled this game out. We ran a game. It was good. So we didn't get to play Eberron. I've still never played in Eberron, but because the bug bit me, Brian, we are playing at, at Mace 2017. So Brian and myself and a, and a few friends, we've all signed up to play in a ton of games. Mm-hmm. And then I'm actually running two games. I'm running Medieval Avengers, which is again full. But then Terror on the Katara, which I'm running in basic basic fantasy RPG. Brian, I actually bought six copies of the core rulebook and six dice sets that I'm going to give out at the table. That's awesome. As, as we play BFRPG, as we play Terror on the Katara. So free giveaways to join that game. I have no idea if it'll, if it'll be full by the time the show airs. But hey, if you're in the Charlotte area, by all means, I would love to run you through a game. Come to, uh, come to Mace, the Mid-Atlantic Convention Expo. You'll find it at JustUsProductions.com, no affiliation. But, uh, hey, register for Mace, come out, we'd love to play with you. Anything else you want to talk about, Brian? No, I think that's it. All right, thank you for listening. Again, uh, RPG Lessons Learned is a proud member of the RFC family of shows. Please visit visit TFRadio.net to see all of Brian's many, many other podcasts. And if you're willing to support the show, the best way to do that is to use the show's Amazon affiliate link. It doesn't cost you anything more, and it lets Amazon know that, that we referred you there. So if, if you can do that, that'd be great. Thank you for listening. Have a good week. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.